have a helicopter that uh, you know took off in poor weather with declining weather conditions. And yes, there's a lot of questions from the uh, the public on exactly what's going on. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters, right here, right now. The debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, nbcnewyork.com slash healthu, to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health, life years ahead. Dennis? Hey, what's up? How are you? David Ushery here. How are you, my friend? Nice to speak to you, sir. What's happening there? It is good to speak to you. First of all, you should know you can't see me, but in the spirit of this conversation, I get to wear a headset with a mic on it. Uh, Oh, cool. Now I'm uh, I'm jealous. Sympatico with you. (laughs) First of all, Dennis, explain to us where you are uh, right now. Yeah, right now we are, I'm actually on duty. So I am on call uh, along with my pilot, Rob Angelos. We're here at Linden, New Jersey at the airport. Uh, We have a hangar here and a ready room that we basically sit in uh, waiting for the call from the assignment desk for us to fly at any time. Um, so we're basically uh, have the aircraft right outside our window here, uh, parked inside the hangar about 50 feet away. Anytime they call and need us to launch, we can be up off the ground probably within five to ten minutes. And uh, it, we basically launch from a ramp directly in front of the hangar here about 100 feet away. So it's uh, one of those type of things where we're almost like the fire department, except we're going out to, to, to cover news and not put out fires. Exactly. And we rely on you every day. Usually you're covering fires sometimes. All right. I'm going to ask you more about that and your workflow in a bit, but I want to get to just some more current events. Uh, the most recent one over a building in Midtown. Live from News 4 New York, this is a special report. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm David Ushry with Jumi Olabanzi. We're breaking in right now because we're getting word of a helicopter crash on the roof of 787 7th Avenue. This happened within the last few minutes. One person died in this helicopter crash. That person is presumed to be the pilot. As soon as we smelled the scent of smoke, that's when people took it seriously, like, okay, let's hurry up and get downstairs. Everyone in the stairwell was just checking the news to find out what was going on. We got to the roof, what we saw was a debris field that was on fire. And in the latest reporting as we speak now, some issues raised about whether this pilot was certified to fly in this kind of weather. On that day, even you weren't flying. So uh, we knew that helicopters weren't in the air. So kind of take us through what we know and what, what, what kind of happened here, even though the NTSB is investigating, and obviously it's some speculation. Sure. And, uh, you know, and what, a, what a tragic day that was. Um, we have a helicopter that, uh, you know, took off in poor weather with declining weather conditions. Now we know uh, some of the events that were leading up to this uh, decision for that pilot to take off. But again, don't know really what was in his mind. What was he thinking? What did he really want to do? Was he just trying to get back to Linden Airport uh, here at our home base? Or, um, or, or what was going on. But again, it, it's, it seems like it's falling upon uh, more of a pilot error type of situation. And yes, there's a lot of questions from the, uh, the public on exactly what's going on. I don't understand. Wait a second. You said the weather's bad. Why would he be flying in that? Why did he take off in conditions that were uh, basically 
poor and actually declining. You know, it seemed to me that he was attempting to get back to Linden, New Jersey, um, and he made a poor, poor choice. Uh, the best choice would have obviously now been to stay on the ground. Um, he tried to make, uh, you know, basically a run for it, for lack of a better term, and um, it ended poorly. And again, a lot of questions have been raised. What about the airspace? What about flying into, you know, a TFR or a temporary flight restriction? Again, those were after effects of the actual incident, him getting into what we call IMC or instrument uh, meteorological conditions where he's not, yes, he's not licensed to fly, at least as he was. Um, he Dennis, was let, me ask, let me interrupt you sure. and ask you a little bit about that when we hear not the, the reporting, both on our team and others, was, was not licensed to fly in foul weather. What, what, what does that mean? Well, basically, you need an instrument uh, an instrument ticket, is what we call it. Um, he needs to be instrument trained, and he also has to be instrument current. Um, which are, again, all a, a different layer of regulations that are put forth by the FAA. Dennis, as opposed or, to what, just visually flying? Exactly. Okay. There's two types of flying that we do. And, of course, in Chopper 4, right. we're all about visual flight rules. Right. Um, for instrument pilots, that would be called what we call IFR, or IFR conditions, instrument flight rules, which means you're relying solely on the instruments to take off and to get you from point A to point B. Um, with us in Chopper 4, uh, we were on the ground that afternoon, um, and, and for good reason, because the weather conditions, as I mentioned, were poor and getting worse. Um, and we're pretty conservative here. Uh, we're not going to go flying or even attempt to go flying if the ceiling's 1,000 feet or less or three miles of visibility, uh, nautical miles of visibility or less. We're not even going to attempt that. So... Um, again, I think the conditions were kind of up and down throughout the morning and right. into the early afternoon. And at the time that he took off, I think he may have thought, and of course, we're just speculating. All the speculation bit. for sure. Yeah, I think he was thinking maybe the conditions were better or at least a little bit better than they were, and it turned out that they were terrible. We, we heard, Dennis, that there was no kind of data recorder or flight recorder, and it was not required. Take us through that. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you'll hear a lot of times, uh, you know, you have a big uh, airline accident, right. and the first thing they talk about, got to retrieve the black boxes. These are purpose-built, um, rugged, uh, basically rugged equipment that, are, that are, are put on aircraft to basically record a lot of flight parameters, what the aircraft was doing, uh, how, the, how the throttles were being uh, basically uh, maintained. Um, what speed and altitude, all a whole host of parameters. Um, but those are expensive, expensive systems. Most smaller aircraft um, basically don't have them, that's A, and B, don't need to have them uh, per the FAA. Um, you may have heard uh, some of the preliminary information from the NTSB. They were talking about some of the instruments on board may have a short-term memory that they may have, uh, they may be able to access. Now right. that all begins on two, th or rather, it, it hinges on if they can actually retrieve that information and if they can find it if it wasn't uh, basically damaged, damaged. post-fire. Exactly, Dennis. What was another point of confusion, perhaps, for some as we listened? The communications with either LaGuardia or air traffic control versus the heliport and any flight plan. We heard these terms kind of thrown about what was required or should have been expected or not. How does that work? Yeah, and it's, and it's really interesting because that airspace that he's flying in basically is not really controlled by any uh, aviation source. 
Uh, really? It's what we call the East River Exclusion. So taking off out of the east side uh, heliport at 34th Street along the uh, East River, there is an area basically that borders uh, you know, Riverside to Riverside from the Manhattan side of the river over to the Queens and Brooklyn side of the river, and that is known as the uh, East River Exclusion. As long as that aircraft flies over the river in that airspace below 1,100 feet, he technically doesn't have to speak to or ask anybody's permission to fly along there. Again, that's what we consider uh, more or less visual flight rules in that case, where he sees and avoids other aircraft, and he self-announces on a specific radio frequency, a radio frequency, by the way, that's not monitored by LaGuardia Tower. That's the important thing to know. Um, He'll self-announce on that uh, radio frequency and just say things like, uh, you know, helicopter XXX, I am southbound along the river uh, by Battery Park. That's, that would be the only thing. He's basically letting everybody else in the area hate, knowing, hey, I'm here, I'm going southbound, this is my altitude. And he probably would say, I'm at 700 feet or something to that effect. But uh, other than that, you don't really need permission to, to fly in that airspace. Now, everybody, you know, now, now that we know a little bit more about the, uh, the incident, it seems like he climbed up through, you know, past 1,100 feet and possibly... Past the exclusion, higher. past the cutout, East River exactly. exclusion. Exactly, and that would be LaGuardia's airspace. And ah. I think this was an inadvertent thing. I right. don't think he may have been in control of the, air, of the aircraft that time. It's obviously not what he intended to do, at least that's what we think. And, um, you know, at that point, he probably wasn't in full control of his flight. Um, and we obviously know the outcome crashing into that building. Right. So, we, so, so much LaGuardia, more. LaGuardia, you know, although a lot of people may say, well, I don't understand, he took off, but LaGuardia is really not a piece of this of this incident because they really didn't need to be if he was in complete control of that aircraft. And that's interesting. And even in the first news conference, the mayor was raising that issue. We want to find out what LaGuardia knew or heard. So we're learning a lot from your reporting. Before I ask you more about your daily workflow, and we learn a little bit more about you and Chopper 4, I just want to ask you this. You know, when this happens, Dennis, it raises the political discussion and one of our local uh, congressmen, again, raising the issue of trying to ban flights, questions about the traffic. Uh, You're a reporter for us. I know I'm not asking you to get into a political discussion, but just broadly speaking, I mean, the incidents raise attention, but otherwise I guess it seems to work. Uh, your sense of the traffic over Manhattan, and, and I know we have a lot of tourist helicopters as well. I mean, just give you know those who are listening kind of focused on this an overview. Sure, and you know, and, and of course this is the first thing that will, will pop into a lot of, uh, uh, you know, laymen uh, who, right. who don't really understand aviation, you know, and the first thing they'll think is aircraft are falling out of the sky. This is dangerous. Yes, of course, it, it, it's dangerous when aircraft fall out of the sky. Nobody wants to have this happen in anybody's backyard, let alone New York City. Um, but I, I have to say that, you know, of course, it's the skies here in New York City are busy. Um, it's the, you know, it's the largest city here in, in North America, basically. You expect to have a lot of aircraft traffic. You expect to have a lot of helicopter traffic. Is it too busy? I don't think so. I don't, you know, we fly on a daily basis here. Yes, there's a lot of helicopter operations here. Um, a lot of noise complaints as far as helicopters go, as you mentioned, from the tours along the, uh, both the East River and the Hudson River. They have been cur- curtailed quite a bit over the last few years. And at this point, I, I think it's, it's a, a pre- pretty reasonable amount of tours that are flo- flown here. 
But, um, you know, we, we fly with very, very experienced pilots. This is some of the most complex airspace. As I mentioned earlier, the, you know, the exclusion zones, you've heard all these terms about right. the upside-down wedding cake and different layers of LaGuardia Tower, Newark Tower, and also JFK Tower. We're flying what we, uh, in three what we call Class B airspaces. It's some of the busiest flying in the world, yeah. but there's such great pilots here with such a great amount of experience that it's so fluid and extremely uh, you know, well-maintained that 99.9% of the time you don't hear about any type of situations uh, that, that, you know, that may occur um, because it's, it does work so very well. But unfortunately on this day with a pilot who it seems wasn't supposed to be flying in the conditions he was flying in, one you know one bad mistake becomes a fatal mistake right. luckily it didn't it wasn't even worse than it was but uh it does give you know give the industry somewhat of a black eye and we're just going to have to try to power through it and continue to be vigilant and try to do the right thing and always fly smart um, that's what we do here with Chopper 4. Indeed. And that's a good pivot point now to talk a little bit about Chopper 4 and your experience, Dennis. I think many people in our newsroom, to be honest with you, don't even realize uh, that you're not the pilot. You're essentially a reporter like I am, obviously a technically skilled reporter who operates <laughs> fancy equipment. Um, talk a little bit about how you ended up in the cockpit, as it were, your experience that led you to that. And, you know, you just won two Emmys. Congratulations to those for some of your coverage in 2017. Oh, um, let's just kind of give some insight into uh, Dennis Protzko and Chopper 4. I mentioned earlier I'm with pilot Rob Angelos uh, this afternoon. Um, oftentimes I fly with our other pilot, our other lead pilot, Matt Seams. Right. Um, both are highly experienced pilots. They are in charge of the aircraft. I am in charge of the broadcasting side of things. Um, so they're flying, and all, all they're concerned about is flying safe, talking to the towers, letting other aircraft know where we are, and they're in charge of, of the aviation. That being said... I'm in charge of the broadcasting, so right. I'm running a multitude of equipment, uh, both navigation, the camera, the main camera, and we have a number of other cameras on board, the recorders, the electronic equipment, the communications, talking to our, our, our desk, um, and actually getting information on where we need to go and, and where we need to be. Um, so a lot going on up there. So it's a, it, is a, it is a teamwork uh, type of thing where they're obviously in charge of aviation. We're in charge of the broadcasting. And they both need to operate seamlessly to make it all happen. So a lot going on there. But, yeah, almost 30 years of flying, almost 25,000 hours of flight time in the cockpit, which is sometimes I think about it and just go, wow, where did it all go? It's a long time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yep. A lot of experience and, a, and, a, and just a lot of uh, things that we've seen up there pretty interesting. Well, Dennis Protzko, a uh, longtime veteran of our NBC New York staff, most of it in the air. Spent more time in the air than on the ground, Dennis, I think. But anyway, uh, thank you, man. You shared a lot of insight here. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. All right.